WSJM News Now. This is the 5 o'clock News Block on News Talk Sports 94.9 WSJM. Brought to you by the Town Crier Wire. In the newsroom, I'm Andrew Green. A police officer is recovering and a suspect is dead following an officer-involved shooting in Hager Township today. Michigan State Police tell us it happened in the 43,000 block of Bundy Road about 12.30 p.m. The Berrien County Sheriff's Department and the Coloma Township Police Department responded to a domestic situation at a home and arrived to find the 40-year-old suspect was armed. While outside the home, he opened fire on police, hitting a Coloma Township officer once. The officer is now in stable condition, and police say it looks like he's going to recover. The suspect was killed, and an autopsy is now planned. Michigan State Police have taken over the investigation and will refer their findings to the prosecutor's office. For the second year in a row, Benton Harbor has met state and federal standards for lead in the water. The Michigan Department of Environment, Great Lakes, and Energy says the most recent testing for lead in the city's drinking water shows lead levels remain at one part per billion, well below the state and federal limit of 15 parts per billion. The latest six-month monitoring period from July through December resulted in a 90th percentile calculation of one part per billion for lead from 63 sampling locations. The city completed its sampling prior to the December deadline, and all sites were classified as residential sites with older lead-soldered copper plumbing. Additionally, this week will also mark the completion of galvanized iron service line replacements, as a handful of them will be replaced over the next few days. The last known lead service line in Benton Harbor was replaced back in May. Eagle Director Phil Roos says, quote, The data collected over the past two years clearly shows the drinking water supplied to Benton Harbor homes consistently meets the stringent standards of the Safe Drinking Water Act. Eagle continues to work with the city to make improvements at its water plant. This month brings the 20th anniversary of the Michigan Tobacco Quit Link. Formerly known as the Quit Line, the service helps people quit smoking by connecting them with counselors. Michigan Department of Health and Human Services public health consultant Karen Brown tells us anyone can call at any time and reach services to help them kick the habit. One of the most important things that any of the modalities that they go through, whether it's on the phone or online, is really looking at what the caller um, wants to gain from the service, what their past tobacco use looks like, what kind of tobacco they're using. As of 2019, more than 140,000 people have used the quit line. Brown says considering how difficult it is to quit tobacco, the service has made a big difference. We uh, average about 5,000 calls per year, and out of that, about 40 to 50 percent of the people who call us decide that they want to enroll. Our quit rates, I also call them abstinence rates, are running around the high 20 to low 30 percent. The quit link started as a quit line in 2003 thanks to a federal grant. Brown says they changed the name of it this year because they found many people no longer want to speak to someone on the phone. So the service has been updated with text and other options. Berrien County Commissioner Rayante Bell is reflecting on what he learned during three days of sessions at the Michigan Association of Counties Conference last month. The association held its annual event in Kalamazoo, marking the first time in 20 years it's been held in southwest Michigan. In attendance were Bell and Commissioners Mamie Yarborough, Terry Freeling, Jim Curran, Dave Volrath, and Julie Werfel. Bell tells us a key topic of discussion for him was opioids. During the breakout session that I attended, we talked about genfentanyl and a very dangerous drug out there and, and some of the efforts and initiatives that we're taking to combat the widespread of fentanyl laced in a different number of drugs. Bell sits on the Southwest Michigan Behavioral Health Substance Abuse Disorder Oversight Board. He says the discussions produce some Ideas for fighting the fentanyl crisis. Such as providing distribution of some of the Narcan kits, basically increasing the dosage of Narcan provided in those kits. 
Commissioners also attended the sessions on road funding, collective bargaining, early voting, artificial intelligence, the affordable housing crisis, and increasing the population in Michigan. Bell says it was a good opportunity to meet fellow commissioners from all over the state and hear about changes coming from Lansing. Jim Story of Allegan County was selected as the MAC board president and spoke to attendees about the four-year terms all county commissioners in Michigan will now be serving. He called it an exciting prospect. Safety cameras could soon be coming to road construction zones in Michigan. The state legislature is mulling bills that aim to reduce work zone-related deaths. Greg Brunner is the chief engineer of MDOT. He joined this week's episode of Talking Michigan Transportation to show his support for the legislation. Brunner says the cameras would be all about safety. When we look at it, we aren't necessarily looking at it from an enforcement standpoint. We're looking at it more from a speed compliance standpoint is what kind of the goal with all of this is, is that people, everyone out there drives the posted speed through our work zones to not only keep themselves safe, but the workers that are out there. So again, based on what we saw, it looks like very promising technology. Drivers could retroactively get tickets for speeding in work zones. A test of the cameras was successful in Grand Rapids. Taking place all this week at Rogers Foodland in St. Joseph is 97.5 Y Country's 27th annual Stuff-A-Truck Food and Fundraiser. Y Country's Paul Landecker tells us the event supports the Southwest Michigan Community Action Agency. We work together again with the community to restock the pantry at the Southwest Michigan Community Action Agency. So we're looking for non-perishable foods. We're looking for personal care items, toothbrushes and combs and shampoo and those kinds of things. Landecker says the Y Country crew will be at Rogers Foodland each day from 6 to 6 through Friday, and then on Saturday from 10 to noon. They make a big difference with each drive. It grows each and every year. Last year, we raised nearly $40,000 and about five trucks full of food. Landecker says everyone's invited to stop by to either drop off items from their home or to buy items to donate at Rogers. The items collected can keep the food pantry going for six months. You can pay the Y Country crew a visit to donate or make a donation online. And travel promises to be very busy in the new year, just as it has been this year. Travel company Expedia Group surveyed 20,000 travelers and found many are getting travel ideas for movies and TV shows. Travel expert Janine Torneator says the year's already looking good. They found that 60% of travelers say that they've researched and booked a trip for a destination after seeing it or streaming it on a television show or seeing it in a movie. So they're really predicting that more and more people next year are going to be desti- going to destinations like Thailand, where season three of The White Lotus takes place, or Paris, you know, the new season of Emily in Paris is out. She says many are looking for less crowded destinations. For example, she's seeing more travelers heading to Palermo instead of Lisbon or Quebec City instead of Geneva. WSJM News Now continues with your Bloomberg report. WSJM News Now continues. House Speaker Mike Johnson is expected to pitch his plan this week to keep the government's doors open past Friday's deadline. But the proposal is already drawing pushback from within his own conference. President Biden weighed in today, and ABC's Karen Travers has more. President Biden would not speculate on what may happen at the end of the week when government funding runs out, whether there will be a shutdown. We'll see what happens. The president was asked if he would veto House Speaker Mike Johnson's two-step plan that keeps some parts of the government funded through January 19th and others through February 2nd. Johnson's proposal does not include funding for Ukraine, Israel, and border security that the White House has requested. I'm not going to make a judgment what I'd veto, what I'd sign. 
But let's wait and see what they come up with. Karen Travers, ABC News, the White House. Health officials say battles between Israel and Hamas around hospitals forced thousands of Palestinians to flee from some of the last perceived safe places in northern Gaza. Critically wounded patients, including newborns and their caregivers, have been stranded, uh, dwindling supplies with no electricity. The Israeli military has urged Palestinians to flee south on foot through what it calls safe corridors, but its stated goal of separating civilians from Hamas militants has come at a heavy cost. More than two-thirds of Gaza's 2.3 million people have fled their homes. Meanwhile, State Department spokesperson Matt Miller was pressured today to explain why the hospitals should do without if the target is a terror group. Hamas is sitting on fuel reserves in northern Gaza. Hamas is using fuel reserves to ventilate its tunnel tunnels. If Hamas truly cared for the people in Al-Shifa and in other hospitals in the north, it could take the fuel that it's using to protect its fighters and, diver- and send it to the hospitals. In a war where journalist access is limited, there's a flood of video online from the Israel-Hamas war. The challenge for news outlets is that much of it is very disturbing to sift through and much of it's fake. But some also provides important clues on how the war is unfolding and news organizations are increasing the use of and training of journalists who are adept at open source reporting. The reports by several organizations using video and other sources to investigate competing claims regarding a hospital explosion in Gaza is an example of how this form of journalism is coming into its own. Meanwhile, as IDF forces continue their expanded ground operations into Gaza, ABC's Patrick Rivel took a tour of one of the kibbutzim in Israel targeted by Hamas during the October 7th attack. He gives us details on the cleanup efforts still ongoing. We were taken on an IDF tour. They're doing this regularly. They're taking journalists there. And I was surprised because when we arrived, the cleanup is still going on. And that's because there was these Jewish volunteers that, according to Jewish tradition, a a dead person's body must be entirely buried. You should try and bury all of the person's body. And that means here that they are trying literally to mop up every spot of blood and collect every hair, every piece of flesh from from this this terrible scene there. ABC's Patrick Revell. Donald Trump Jr. has returned to the stand in New York City as defense lawyers start calling witnesses in the civil fraud trial that threatens his father's real estate empire. Trump Jr. spent more than an hour today testifying almost as a character witness for Donald Trump's company and talking about the former president's, quote, incredible vision as a developer. Two weeks ago, Trump Jr. was grilled by New York state attorneys about financial statements supporting loans and real estate deals, statements that State Attorney General Letitia James's lawsuit contends fraudulently inflated the value of Trump's business and private holdings. Saying there's been a misunderstanding about the lack of rules for justices, the members of the Supreme Court have agreed to a code of conduct for the first time. The move follows months of reports about Clarence Thomas receiving gifts and lavish trips paid for by wealthy benefactors. ABC's Stephen Portnoy is more from Washington. This new code of conduct amounts to a set of ethical guidelines laying out what the justices should and shouldn't do. Participating in civic activities is encouraged, but speaking at a political rally is a no-no. The code also spells out the specific conditions under which justice should step aside from a case. When it comes to gifts, the justices say they should abide by the same restrictions that lower court judges follow. But this new code of conduct does not contain any enforcement provisions. The course of events in the years since the last meeting between Presidents Joe Biden and Xi Jinping of China is offering a cautious hope they will have better luck this time around. It also shows how easily any agreement they reach could once again veer off course. The U.S. and Chinese leaders will meet Wednesday while attending the annual Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit in San Francisco. They go into the meeting on the back of five months of government-to-government talks, but tensions over Taiwan and the South China Sea could set back efforts to improve ties, just as an apparently errant Chinese balloon did earlier this year. 
And Washington, D.C. has declared a public emergency for what it calls a growing crisis with youth violence and opioid overdoses. ABC's Andy Field has more. Since before the pandemic, Washington, D.C.'s opioid overdose deaths more than doubled, and there were nearly 460 juvenile arrests just this year. And while we understand that we're not going to arrest our way out of this violence, we also know that young people need to have consequences. Washington, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser working on placing more at-risk teens in group homes and treatment centers, adding counseling to schools and more police enforcement. Andy Field, ABC News, Washington.